0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Jackass Philosophy. I'm your host Josh Jensen. Welcome to episode two. This week we're going to be talking about Plato and simulation theory. Before we start getting into the Plato aspect, let's start talking about what simulation theory is, so we're all on the same page. What is simulation theory? Essentially, simulation theory or the simulation hypothesis um, goes is concerned itself itself with this question: Are we living in a simulation? Some of you might be like, Josh, that is so crazy. Why would you ever think that? Well, technology is growing at an extremely rapid pace. I remember in the late 90s when we had dial-up internet. There was flip phones for cell phones. We had hard landlines. I mean, now I'm not that old. But we now have iPhones. We have internet everywhere we go. We have some like Google where we get it ask any question ever and as of right now things like quantum computers are being developed which are like i don't know like thousands upon upon thousands of times faster than the computers we have today so it is not terribly hard to believe that we could create a simulation one day that can simulate the life that we're living right now and if we are able to do that it's there's potential that Someone else created our reality. So we're kind of in this like layered simulation of like, you know, there's the one that made our reality and then we made a different reality and then they made a different reality, or I'm sorry, someone made our simulation and we made another person's simulation, then they made another person's simulation, and then the book can go on and on and on. Um So, we really don't know if we're living in a simulation or not, and how, how are we to cope with that answer? Well, we'll get to that point, but let's go back to Plato. So who's Plato? Well, I think his name was Aristocles in real life. Um, he actually comes from the most, one of the most wealthiest and political um, politically active families in Athens, He was a huge student of Plato, or (laughs) he was a huge student of Socrates, not Plato, he's not a student of himself, Um, and he was one of the ones that wrote down all of the philosophical ideas in Socrates' life. Um, When Socrates died, he was heavily influenced by that. He actually hated democracy, fun fact, Um, but he continued to pursue philosophy and actually created one of the first ever uh, colleges and not like the first ever, you know, places of higher education, but first, first ever colleges as we know it today. We know our universities as in like, ah, you have a math department, you have a biology department, you have a philosophy department. Yeah, that's what Plato did. He created the academia. And in doing so, he that was one of the first ever universities or colleges or places of higher thought that had different or differentiating subject matter for whatever you were interested in. It was actually kind of cool, and uh, you could kind of thank him for the way colleges today. Thank you, Plato, I guess. Um, but enough about Plato. Let's get into the allegory of the cave. What is the allegory of the cave? So, Plato in the Republic wrote down a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> And one of the things he wrote down was the allegory of the cave. And the allegory of the cave is just a story. It's just a story about this crazy guy and three people locked in a cave. So let's begin. So let me set the stage for you. You like, there is a very, very, very dark cave. Think of it like pitch black. Okay. And there's this crazy psycho who chained up these people for their entire life and only has them face forward. Now he feeds them and keeps them alive which is I guess you know nice but these people are just chained to a wall or to a chair It doesn't really matter what they're chained to but they're chained and all they can do is face forward. And, what, and the only thing they could see is actually shadows. So there's a fire behind them, but anytime the, the psychopath like walks in front of the fire, it projects a shadow on the wall across from the people. And with them seeing that shadow, they think that that is what reality is. So if the psychopath has a chicken behind them, they're like, dang, that's a good looking chicken, even though they're only seeing the shadow of a chicken. If, they, if he brings out a freaking horse, they're like, man, that's a big-ass horse. But they're once again, they're only seeing the shadow because that's their perception of what reality is. They think the shadows are real. They think that's what the world is. One day, the psycho ends up coming to one of the guys, unchaining him, and starts leading him out of the cave. Now, the guy who's unchained, we'll call him Bob, bob is like what the hell is going on i have never been unchained my whole life where are we going so the psycho ends up bringing bob up out of the cave and bob sees the sun for the first time he sees brightness and color and the vivid world around him for the first time ever and he is deeply confused He's like, what the actual fuck is going on here? He doesn't know what's left and right. He doesn't know what's green. He doesn't know what blue is. All he's seeing his entire life is shadows. So he's seeing butterflies. He is seeing birds. He's seeing flowers. He's seeing clouds. He's seeing the blue sky. He is seeing everything that we see and take for granted every single day for the first time. And he's walking around. And he's seeing, well, shadows. He's seeing that if there's a tree and the sun is is in the right spot, you see a shadow on the other side. That's what Bob's doing. So he's walking up to all these shadows thinking that that is what real is. That is what reality is. But the psycho assures him, like, no, that's not what reality is. What reality is is actually the thing right there in front of the shadow. So... He would lead him to the tree instead of the shadow of the tree and be like, touch this. This is what's real. Bob ends up touching that and he ends up like touching everything. And he's really overjoyed with seeing how the true world really is. I mean, just imagine like that is that is a lot for someone to take in. So he had excitement in this moment. He was very excited to see how the world actually was so he wanted to share with, with his excitement with his friends down in the cave so he had the he made the choice to go from this nice bright reality back down into the cave to well to help his friends of course so he's going down into the cave and he's like man it's really dark in here man like how did i used to do this so he's going down he's going down he sees his friends and his friends are like man where, where have you been like what's going on and he starts explaining. He's like, "You're not gonna believe this. This is not real. You guys are in a cave right now. Nothing you see right now is what reality really is. We, there's reality up there." And his friends are like, "Nah, you. What are you smoking, bro? What drugs are you taking? This, this is real. This is, this is, this is reality." He's like, "No, I'm serious. Like up there, there's color, and the shadows you're seeing aren't, aren't." what reality is, there's actually things that are connected to the shadows. Like, it's crazy. You need to come up and see it. And his friends start getting upset with him. Like, they think he's possessed. So they're like, there's no way. There's no, this is real. You are crazy. You are crazy for thinking that there's anything else other than what this real is. And they get mad at him. And Bob's like, no man, like look, I'm just really trying to help you to go see the true what what's true. Like this is not true. Now his friends start getting really upset with him. Like, really, really upset, because you know, that's their reality. And they you don't want someone to come in and shatter your reality. And they actually get so upset that they want to kill Bob. And that's kind of where the story starts to peter out. So Bob tries to rescue his friends, is unsuccessful, and his friends end up wanting to kill him because they don't want him to shatter the reality in which they live. So Plato didn't know it, but he was essentially making a simulation theory hypothesis back 2000 plus years ago. So the prisoners were living kind of in a simulation. Nothing that they were seeing was objectively true at all. The shadows were not quote unquote real. and since we do not know if we live in a simulation or not, we could very well be those people, like Bob, in the cave. The real world could be something totally different. Now, with me telling you guys this, I kind of just red-pilled you guys. I, I made it known to you that it is possible that we could be living in a simulation. And how are we to, sp- how are we to respond to that? How do we cope with the idea that we could possibly be living in a simulation? I think there's a couple different ways we could cope with this idea, but the best way is actually to look at movies and TV. So let's let's look at movies and TV and see what they have to say. I think the first one we could look up, look at is Neo in The Matrix. So Neo, Neo discovers he's living in a matrix. He's living in a simulation from his buddy named Morpheus. And essentially, after he finds that out, He quickly decides to try to break out and fix the outside world to save the people in the matrix. So that's your first option. You could break out. Essentially, what what, what Neo's doing here is he's like Bob in the cave. He broke out of the simulated reality and he wants to go back in to try to help and save people. However, the risk we run here, if we're trying to be like Neo, is that maybe once we break out of the simulation, This The objective reality, the reality outside of the simulation, could suck. It could suck a lot. In the Matrix, Neo gets out and he finds out everyone are in these vats of goo being ran by robots. And the robots are kind of keeping them in those vats of goo for their own gain. I mean, that sucks. That is not a good reality to live. So if we were to be like Neo and break out of our simulation that we're living in, there's no, there's no telling what could be out there. Things can actually be shittier than what they are on the outside versus being in the simulation that we're living in right now and living in bliss. So the second and third way we can respond to this would be like from an episode of Rick and Morty, season two, episode six. So in this episode, Rick and Morty enter Rick's car battery. Now, why do they enter Rick's car battery? Well, Rick's car battery died. Rick is essentially the psycho who is in Plato's Allegory of the Cave. So Rick's car battery died and he designed his car battery to be ran on a little micro universe inside of the car battery. So Rick and Morty have to go and enter into, their, into Rick's micro universe inside the car battery to try to fix what's going on. So as they enter the car battery, car battery Rick and Morty find that the residents of the universe are no longer creating energy for Rick because their top scientist Zeep created a mini universe to power their world. So like Rick created that little battery for his car, Zeep made a little battery for their universe, pretty much. So Zeep still doesn't know that Rick and Morty are not, or he's not aware that he is in a, a simulation quite yet. But Zeep, Rick, and Morty go into Zeep's little what did what do you call it? Miniverse. They go into his miniverse, and he they find the these people inside of this other simulation that are providing power for Zeep and his people. They end up finding the top scientist there. His name was Kyle. And once they find the top scientist there, they find out Kyle is working on another simulated little battery universe to power his universe that he lives in. So then Zeep, Kyle, Rick and Morty all jump into Kyle's little mini universe. So now we're like three universes down. We're like in in simulation inception. We are just down the rabbit hole right now. Morty ends up spilling the beans at this point and tells Kyle that we're in a simulated reality. This is really hard for Kyle to wrap his mind around. The scientist Kyle has worked his entire life, has sacrificed so much, his parents died, his brother died, and that was too much for him to handle. So once he found out that he himself was in a simulated universe, he ends up going off and killing himself. He takes a spaceship that they took and kills himself. That's, That's a second reaction we could have. We could have the reaction that if we're living in a simulation, that you can go off and just off yourself. It could be over then and there. Now, for obvious reasons, I suggest not to be like Kyle and off yourself if we find out we're living in a simulation. Then, <laughs> that I don't think that's ever a good option to take. But nonetheless, it is an option. So at this point in the story for this Rick and Morty episode, Rick, Morty, and Zeep have to figure out how to leave this little miniverse, microverse, whatever. At this point also, Zeep knows that he is living in a simulated universe that was created by Rick. Anyways, to make the long story short, Rick and Morty end up escaping before Zeep does. And Rick and Morty exit out of their car battery and upon exit, their car starts. So the car battery is working again. Now, why does it start working? Well, Zeep, knowing that he's trapped inside his universe, so the one that Rick made for him, he had a couple options. First, he could have been like Kyle, but he was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. Two, he could be like Neo and try to escape, but with him trying to escape or try to fight back, he knew that Rick would just destroy his universe. Rick can make another car battery, but if you lose your universe... You lose your universe. It's over. So what he ended up doing and what I think is probably the best way to go about this information if we are living in a simulation is truly to accept it. Zeep accepted that he lived in Rick's car battery. It's a simulated universe, right? He's accepting the simulation in which he's living in. And I think that's probably the best one. I mean, you could deny that the simulation doesn't, isn't real, but either way, you're kind of accepting the, the world that you're living in. Now, I think acceptance, like Zeep, is probably the best one. And here's why. Because the circumstances of why we're here are relevant. Ultimately, we're what we're experiencing day to day is real to us. I mean, the relationships we have, the work we do, how we influence everyone else, that is what we are experiencing every single day. And regardless if there's an objective universe, regardless of there's something outside of this cave, there's nothing that really changes that. There's no amount of knowing if we are in a simulation or if we're not in a simulation, we'll change the lives we live today. So we do have to accept the circumstances in which we're in. The life we're living now is, is really for us and no one else. We might be in a cave like Plato, like I said. We might be in a cave like what Plato said. But I mean, we're, it doesn't seem to me that we're here alone. I mean, that brings up a whole different question to bring up. But to me, it seems like we're all in this cave together. We're all like Bob and his friends. like They, they were blissfully unaware of the objective reality. So we could be too, but either way, um, I think that is probably the best way to go about simulations and we need to really assess, does it truly matter if we live in a simulation or not? Ultimately, I don't think it does. I think we're still going to live on. I think we're still going to be happy. We're still going to have the relationships we have. And that's about all I got to say about that, as a great Forrest Gump once said. Um, but what do I know? I'm a jackass. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Next week, we'll be having on my first guest, my one and only roommate, Iman Poor. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of random stuff. Um, I hope you enjoyed it this week, and I hope to see you guys next week.